good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. And all of you who are worshiping with us online, we welcome you to Sugar Creek today. And everyone on all of our campuses that are part of this service, yay, God, for you. Last week was Easter Sunday. We had a great weekend, the Good Friday service, the, the Easter services, and it was just a wonderful time. Something happened last week that uh, was pretty striking, and, and that is uh, if you combined everybody that was a part of our service that was online and in person, we were right at 8,000 people that were worshiping together last Easter. And... That was the second largest crowd we've ever had at, at our church in history. But the cool thing for me was that those who were in person across all of our campuses were 6,000 of the 8,000 that came. And all that means to me is so many people are back. And yay, God for that, so many people are back. We had hundreds of families last last Sunday that are, we're back for the first time, and we're so grateful for that. We're, we're sort of wanting to, to get back to pre-COVID days, and, and it was a great giant step in that direction. And I don't know how many people came to know Christ as Savior on, in, on the, all of our campuses, but I was told that five people on our uh, online audience, five people accepted Jesus Christ as their savior last Sunday. And we just want to say, yay, God, for you. We're so proud, we're so grateful that you've come to know Jesus Christ. Thomas Attridge is, uh, was a fighter, a Navy fighter pilot, and uh, a good one. And he was assigned on a particular day a particular job. He was to take an F-11 Tiger jet out into the Atlantic and sort of go through maneuvers and sort of test run that jet. You got to do that. It's a good training for the pilot, but it's also important to see the equipment, the jet itself respond. And so that was a big part of what that maneuver, those maneuvers were about. He went out to a section in the Atlantic Ocean, looked around, make sure nobody could be in the line of fire. It was all clear. And then he took that jet as high as the jet would go. And then he, he uh, flatlined and then he, then he turned the nose down and he began to shoot all of these rounds uh, from the two cannons that were on that jet. After he did that, immediately he adjusted his, his uh, direction and he took off. His job was to make that jet go as fast as it possibly could. So it was the metal to the pedal pedal to the metal. And he took off and went as far as fast as he could. He wanted to see how much power would come from the jet and from the gravitational pull. Now the goal was that when he, obviously before he got to the water, he would then um, maneuver out of that and he would go through a series of loops and all kinds of things that would happen in a regular dogfight. So that was all part of what he was to do. Well, he fired those shots, those rounds out of his cannon, and then he took off at a different trajectory going down. But within, uh, I don't know how long it was, maybe 45 seconds, however long it was, suddenly there was an explosion at his windshield. An explosion that was so great that it actually tore the windshield out. 
He immediately aborted everything else and he headed as fast as he could. He headed for land. But what he didn't know is at the very same time that the explosion happened with his windshield, there was another explosion that happened with his engine. And now he began to see the jet lose power and he was just trying to nurse it, trying to get it close, trying to get it to land. And finally, he got to land. He couldn't get to the base, but at least he could get to the land. And he crash landed that jet. A helicopter came and picked him up and and a group of of, uh, researchers went out to study what had happened, what took place. And here's what they discovered. When uh, Thomas took that plane down, when he was coming down, he was actually going faster than the speed of the bullets. You know, like Superman, faster than a speeding bullet? This jet was going faster than the bullets were traveling. When they saw the trajectory, here is what they decided had happened. When he shot those rounds from his cannon, the bullets went in a certain direction but lost the strength because of the gravitational pull. And it began to change a little bit of the direction. And what happened is that the bullets landed in the same place as the jet at the very same moment. And what blew his windshield out was his own bullets. And he became the first pilot in all of history to blow himself out of the air. So have you ever done that? Have you ever blown yourself out of the air? We have another way of saying it. Have you ever shot yourself in the foot? Maybe it's something you said. Maybe it was something that you did. And the very moment that it came out of your mouth, you, you thought, oh man, if I could just rewind, if I could just get that back into my mouth. Or the very moment you did something you knew you shouldn't have done, and there it is. Oh, if only I wouldn't have done that. There is another phrase that we have, and that is... Uh, I have seen the enemy, and the enemy is me. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. We have arrived at Daniel chapter 4. We're only going to look at the first six chapters of Daniel, and now we've arrived at Daniel chapter 4. You remember that in the story, the whole story revolving around Daniel, that Daniel is a young teenage boy, we don't know, 13, 14, however old it was, that he and a group of other young teenagers were captive, captured from Jerusalem, and they were held captive and taken back to Babylon. They did it so they could re-educate these young men. They were going to be future leaders. They wanted to re-educate these young men to think and to speak and to act Babylonian, but it never worked. Daniel held true to God's word and he, he refused to yield to an ungodly culture. He refused to yield to the morals of that culture and the attitudes of that culture, and he kept his eyes on God's word. And it wasn't just Daniel. It was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as well. And they were willing to die if it's what it meant. But I am going to follow God, not my culture. 
and we've walked with him now for three chapters and now in the fourth chapter. You remember in chapter number two that King Nebuchadnezzar, who had become the greatest king of all time, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that came from God and as it turns out, as Daniel interprets the dream, it was one of the greatest dreams prophetically of all time. He actually was able to show show through that dream the kingdoms that would come and he was amazingly accurate and prophecies about the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. And now in chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, but he remembers this dream and it scares him to death. At the time of this dream, we don't know how, how old Nebuchadnezzar was. He, he reigned as the king for 43 years. We know that. And I sort of suspect, it's just me, I sort of suspect that he was probably within like the last 10 years of his reign. And if so, Daniel would now not be a teenage boy. He would be somewhere around 45 to 50 years old. Nebuchadnezzar, when he has this dream, goes to Daniel. He had built such a love for Daniel, such a respect for the character and maturity of this man. And he brought Daniel before him again and said, I've had this terrible dream and I need you to help interpret this dream. In this passage of scripture, I'm asking us that we would see some particular truths that God wants to build in our life. And here is the first, that the greatest, our greatest enemy within is our own pride. Our greatest enemy in our life is our own pride. There is a healthy pride and there is an unhealthy pride. I wish the healthy pride, I had a better word than the word pride, I just don't, I can't find one. There is a, a healthy sense of pride that we have. For instance, I have a great amount of pride for my wife. I just think Kathy's the greatest woman I've ever known. The character of my wife, and I've seen it tested in so many ways. I know her, she knows me. And I have watched her life and I've seen the life that she's lived and the character that she's had and has, and I have such a pride in my wife. I have such a pride in my two sons. They've grown to be godly men, to walk with God, to love God, to live in a right way. I have watched them, and I'm so, I have such a pride for my sons. And I have a super-duper pride for my eight grandchildren. They're the most handsome and beautiful children in the whole world. And on top of that, amazingly talented and incredibly intelligent. Do I sound like a grandfather? I have a pride in Sugar Creek Baptist Church in its whole history. The whole attitude of this church has been amazing from its very beginning. It's love for God, it's love for his word, it's love to reach people. It has been the mark of this church from the very start and, and to this day. To see how God is using this church, how he is blessing Sugar Creek Baptist Church, I just thank God I got the privilege to be a part of it. I have a great pride for our country. I know that today that there are some people that are, that are yelling the words of, of having uh, a, even a hatred for our country and, and a shame about our country. And I know our country has not been perfect. It's, it's been terrible in some things. It has been absolutely horrible in some things, and I know that. 
But I also know that it has been great at so many things. It has been a beacon of light to the world. It has been the champion of democracy in the world. And I know we have done wrong in times, but I know we've done right in others. And the truth is, the same could be said about every country that has ever existed. And the problem is that country has people. If you could ever have a country that didn't have any people, it would be a perfect country. But otherwise, you're going to get a mixture and that's the case for us. But in this country, I've noticed a lot more people are trying to get in than trying to get out. Because there is something great, there is a promise, there is a future that a person can have in this place. And I love, I love my country. There are a lot of things that I have a sense of healthy pride for and you have a sense of healthy pride for. But there's also things that is a unhealthy pride, an arrogance that begins to emerge in which we think we're more than we are. An unhealthy pride in which we, we begin to treat other people wrongly, a healthy pride in which we don't act correctly in moments in which we should. And it is the unhealthy pride that we see in this passage of scripture. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughtiness before a fall. Psalm chapter 10, verse four, in his pride, the wicked does not seek God. In all of his thoughts, there is no room for God. And this story in Daniel chapter four is a great illustration of that truth. There was a king, Nebuchadnezzar. He was considered the greatest king that had ever lived. He, he, had, he was a king over more territory than anyone had ever been in the history of mankind. He was amazing. He had, he had such insight and, and such vision and such ability to, to imagine things that became some of the greatest wonders of the world. The problem is, is that he came to believe the same thing about himself. And he thought the reason he was so great was because of him, because of his talent, because of his skill, and no God had anything to do with it. And he became arrogant in his heart. All of us have personality characteristics that could potentially bring about our own demise. There are strengths in our lives, all of us have, that are also weaknesses. Have you noticed that? Some strengths can also be weaknesses. And there are some things in our lives that just hold us back. But we could be so much stronger, we could be so much better. God could use us in such a greater way. But for some reason we keep tripping ourselves up. It was the case of uh, an American snowboarder named Lindsay uh, Jacob Ellis. Lindsay is, you look her name up, she's the greatest female snowboarder of all time. Let me tell you, if I ever got on a snowboard, if I could get to the bottom alive, I would be saying, oh, this is the greatest thing. This woman was an amazing athlete. I'm talking about a woman who earned five gold medals in snowboarding. 
She was in every kind of international and national meet you can imagine. Everybody said, there is nobody like Lindsay. And in 2007, when she was a part of, of the uh, Olympics, everyone expected her to win the gold, but she won instead the silver. I think she must look back on that in her life and be so excited about it, the talent that God gave to her, but that silver medal is not one of the finest moments. The reason is simply because she was ahead of everybody. In fact, she was performing like everybody said that she would, and she was in the final run, and she decided to do a maneuver. I don't know what it was. She decided to do a special maneuver that would wow everybody but it backfired and she crashed. She scrambled as fast as she could, but the best she could do was come in second place. She never did that again. Don't we sometimes do that in our lives too? Don't we sometimes have things in our life, flaws in our life, weaknesses in our life that seem to just trip us up? Maybe it's our tongue Maybe it's the criticism that we give other people that are around us. Maybe it is the, the things that we say to other people, the gossip that we give or make, and we begin to gossip and we are amazed. We, we were, had decided, I'm never doing that again. And here we are, we're talking about somebody again, and we're failing in the area of the tongue yet again. Maybe it's attitude, maybe it's anger. Maybe it's an inability to really build strong relationships. Somehow, some way, we, we, we tend to get in our own way. Maybe it's that we become so important in our own minds that we, we, we forget to be kind to other people that are around us. Whatever it is, whatever it is, there's weaknesses and all of us have them. And, and I've got a theory. It's one of my many theories about life. Probably none of them are right, but I've got a theory. And the theory is this, that God creates us with some built-in things that we have to overcome in our life. Maybe they're fears that are in our life. Maybe they're flaws in our life. But, but we have sort of come into the world and there's some particular things that for us to accomplish the destiny that God has intended, he intends for us to overcome these particular areas in our life that are, are fallacies or flaws or weaknesses to reach the destiny that he intended. He put those there so you and I would overcome them. And when we don't, when we cower back, when we are not willing to be disciplined enough to overcome them, we somehow, some way fail to reach the level God intended our life to be. The truth is, Nine out of 10 issues and problems and weaknesses that we have, maybe 10 out of 10, have a root of pride that are attached to that issue. I decided to look up 50 verses and passages in the Bible that have the word pride in it. It took quite a while, but I looked up every one of them, 50 passages and verses in the Bible, and here's why. I wanted to see what the Bible attached to the word pride. 
What problems does it attach to pride? And you know what I discovered? I discovered it connects pride to the interpersonal problems we have with others. Interpersonal relationship issues where, where we are angry or we are, have broken relationships with other people. It attaches that one of the aspects that has caused this is pride. That pride is attached to lying and greed and laziness and sexual sins and problems of attitude and jealousy, a tongue out of control and anger and every conceivable mistake and flaw we have in our life have some way, somehow a root of pride attached to it so that when you add it all up pride ends up torpedoing our life time and time again and the first principle that I'm wanting us to see in the passage is the greatest enemy the greatest enemy in our life is our own pride. There is a second principle that's in the passage, and it's simply this, that God warns us against falling into the trap of our pride. God confronted Nebuchadnezzar about his pride. He confronted him through a dream. So Nebuchadnezzar, when he has this dream, he is tormented by it. He calls for Daniel, asks him to come in, and he begins to lay it out. Now listen, when you are reading the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel, you're actually reading King Nebuchadnezzar's words dictated to Daniel. So listen to what he says in Daniel chapter four, verse five. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in the bed, in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. Here is the king of kings. Here is the most powerful man on the face of this earth and he's terrified. He's a human being no matter what position he has. And Nebuchadnezzar then lays out the dream. Now listen to the dream. Daniel chapter four, verse 10. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Hey, that's a big tree. Here is a tree that is so high in his dream that everyone in the whole world can see it. Verse 12, its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under under it was the beast of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches, and from it every creature was fed. And in the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked and there before me was a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. Now that word messenger in the Hebrew is the same idea as in the Greek. The word messenger means angel. And in the visions where I was lying in my bed, I looked and there before me was an angel, a holy one coming down from heaven. And he called in a loud voice, cut down that tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it, and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Now stop for a moment. Do you see all the times that the word its is used in the passage? It's describing this tree, and it always uses the word it. But notice what happens at the end of verse 15. 
Let him. It changes pronouns. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times passed for him. This was the problem for King Nebuchadnezzar. At first the dream was strange and it was always, it was about some object, it, but when it turned to him, he realized, wait a minute, he's talking about me. And that's why it scared the fool out of him. And he tells Daniel this dream that scared him so much. And Daniel said to him, my master, I wish this was not going to happen. If Daniel is 45 or 50 years old and Nebuchadnezzar is in the last 10 years or so of his reign, over the course of this time, what has happened in Daniel's heart is that he's grown to love King Nebuchadnezzar. Look, this guy was so full of himself. He was bragging about himself all the time. I'm the greatest this and I'm the greatest that and and I do all this great and wonderful stuff and it was constantly bragging about himself And, and Daniel had heard that constantly from King Nebuchadnezzar but Daniel had gone below the surface and he looked into the heart of King Nebuchadnezzar and there was something that Daniel had grown to love about this man. And Daniel said, I, I wish this was not going to happen to you. But he had to tell him the truth. And he said to him, an angel of God will come and will cut you down by giving you a disease. Your own people will chase you away. You'll live like an animal for seven years. And after seven years, you will get your kingdom back. And all of this will happen so you will know that God reigns. But then I want you to listen to what Daniel says to him in Daniel chapter four, verse 27. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. Now stop for a moment. The the book of Daniel is considered one of the books of the prophets. It's considered one of the major prophets. There are all these books of the prophets in the Old Testament and some of them are called minor prophets and only because their book is so small. That's why they're called a minor prophet. And others are called major prophets and only because their books are so big. And if you read through all these prophets, you would soon pick up the trend in all of them and it's this. Every one of them would, would, would speak a word to the king in Israel or speak a word to the people of Israel or even speak a word to the kings of other nations. And they would harp on two issues. One, you are, you are worshiping false gods. And number two, you are oppressing the weak God sees. And they would make this analogy, you are oppressing the widows and the orphans and the poor. And God sees. And God will respond to that. 
And Daniel's doing the same thing. Daniel says, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. If God would allow it, if you repent of your sin, you turn your heart to God. God could rescue you from his discipline that's coming. God disciplines us. We, we don't like to talk about it. We do love to talk about God's love for us. We love that. But we don't like to talk about the discipline of God. We don't like to talk about it. But the truth is God disciplines us out of his love for us. Just like a parent does to their child. Your child is acting up and you've got to discipline them because if your child keeps acting that way, who knows what a mess your child will turn out to be. It's out of your love for your child that you discipline your child. It is out of God's love for us that God disciplines us. We can't stop talking about it. It is part of the nature and the love of God. God confronts us about our pride. Why? Because it is our pride that ruins our relationship with others. It's our pride. It's our pride that ruins our relationship with other people. It creates conflicts with others. It's our pride. It destroys our closeness with those who are nearest to us. It's our pride that does this. Our pride postpones reconciliation of broken relationships. It's our pride that does that. How are you treating your siblings, your brothers and sisters? How are you treating your parents? How are you treating your children? How are you treating your spouse? How are you treating those that you work with? How are you treating those you go to school with? How are you treating your neighbors? How are you treating your friends? What God's word is saying to us is that it's our pride that is creating the broken relationships of our life and it's our pride that is refusing to allow us to reconcile our wounds. Somebody hurt you. They wronged you. They were disloyal to you. They were mean to you. They said things about you. They judged you. I'm not reconciling with that person. It's the principle of the thing. No, we've already stated the principle of the thing. Now, what God is wanting us to do is obey him and reconcile. Forgive. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says this, a man or a woman who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. Our pride destroys relationships. Our pride injures our relationship with God. 
James chapter four, verse six, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What does that mean that God resists the proud? It actually is a word that means that God stands back. He is at arm's length from us. No, I'm not gonna let you get close. Because of the pride in your heart, no, I am going to hold you at arm's length until you deal with the issue of pride. No, I'm not going to answer your prayers. No, I'm not going to bless you. No, I am not going to show my favor to you. No, I'm going to withheld, withhold that in your life until you get your heart right with me. And Jesus said, our heart cannot be right with God if our heart is not right with others. Isaiah 2, verse 11 and 12 says this, the eyes of the arrogant man will be humbled and the pride of men brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty and for all that is exalted and they will be humbled. And Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, you can avoid this, you can stop. If you'll stop right now, if you'll stop right here, you can avoid what is coming. Repent of your sins, turn your heart back to God. And this terrible dream that you've had, this nightmare, will not come. And in essence, is that not what God is saying to us today? What is God warning us, warning you, warning me about today? Here's the third principle that if we disregard the warnings, we will eventually pay the consequences. And that's exactly what happens. I don't know. Nebuchadnezzar seemed to get his act together, at least for a while. But then it all fell apart. And notice what happens in Daniel chapter 4, verse 29. Twelve months later, twelve months later, as the king was walking out on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as my royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? <laughs> He's back to being who he was, full of himself. And verse 31 says, the words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. And you remember what he said in the dream would happen? That he would have his mind changed from being the mind of a man to being the mind of an animal. That is actually a mental disorder that's called lycanthropy lycanthropy, and it comes, I, I'm sure it's Latin words, two Latin words. The first is lucos, which means wolf. And anthropos, which means man. Wolf, man. Oh, good grief. And suddenly he changed. To take on the mind of an animal, he began to act like an animal. And he was quarantined by his kingdom in a certain area and space because we don't understand what's happened to this man. He has become like a wolf for seven years. It's shocking. 
But after seven years, what happened? Suddenly after seven years, Daniel chapter four, verse 34. And at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the most high. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. And in Daniel chapter four, verse 34 and 35, his dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold him back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Why does he make this statement about God? Because God is sovereign. The God of this universe is sovereign. And what he chooses, he chooses. And what he says, he says. And no one can withstand his hand. And no one can question his judgment. He's the sovereign of the universe. And notice verse 36. And at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my advisors and my nobles sought me out again. And I was restored to my throne. And I became greater, even greater than before. And that is so much like God. God does not discipline us to destroy us. God disciplines us to make us stronger, to make us better, to make us wiser. I have learned firsthand in my life many times in which God has disciplined me. And then at the end of the discipline has wrapped his arms around me and restored. And I'm telling you, this is our God. This is the God who loves you and knows you. And here is what God has said to us. If you walk with me, if you do what honors me, I will pour out my blessings upon your life. But if you stand in resistance to me because of your pride, I will bring you back, even if it has to be through discipline, because I love you too much to let you stay this way. And this is what Daniel chapter four is all about. Is there something in your life? Is there some pride in your life that is pushing back God no I will not do what you want and I'm asking you would you open your heart to the God who has already blessed you and loved you and cared for you and provided for you and led you would you open your heart again to him and lay aside the pride and turn your heart to him by faith Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and this is such a hard, hard passage. This is such a hard statement. But it's true. And I pray, Father, that you would move in hearts of those who are listening online or worshiping online and those who are in person today, all of us, that, that we would stop in our tracks this moment and we would recognize the truth about what pride does to us and how it shows itself and the danger and the damage. And you would stop us in our tracks and help us 
to come to see you again. Move in our hearts. May we yield ourselves to you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.